Hey everyone, it is that time of the week again. It is another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and with me together again today is John. How you doing, buddy? I am great. That's great. That's great to hear. So we actually have a huge story we're going to talk about today that just came up today, and we weren't originally going to talk about it. We were going to talk about this Madden tournament where someone won without throwing a pass, which is just the <laughs> stupidest thing I've ever heard, but we were going to talk about that. And there wasn't a lot of story there, but we were going to talk about that. Maybe we'll talk about it some other time. And then we really want to talk about this 10 rarest PS2 games story that we came across on the internet from a website called thegamer.com. And not only were we going to talk about the rare games, we were going to talk about which ones we have in our collections. In fact, John wanted to play a game that I'm going to guess if he has it or not. Because this, this might be hard to believe for a lot of people, John, but your collection of games dwarfs mine into a like it like i i have changed how i collect from when i was originally collecting before i had my store but your collection now your collection has and always will dwarf mine just the way you collect i think and and that's not a negative i don't mean that like in a bad way at all it's just that like you typically are like you you go for like mass quantities of oddities you know and when i sold everything at my store i kind of when I when I started collecting again, I said, "Well, I, I don't want to do the 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 mass pickups again because I I have that at the store technically. I don't need that." And then I decided I just wanted to collect specific things. Of course, as always, things get out of control pretty quickly when it comes to collecting. But you've always been very consistent, and you've been collecting you've been collecting as long as I have, but you never gave it up. Like you, I, 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 I stopped for a little bit and obviously I opened my store and I sold everything except for my Metal Gear games and now I'm slowly rebuilding it. You never stopped. You've been collecting and everything. So, so that's why you're actually going to be the, the, you're going to be the person who we are asking if we own the game or not. So I'm going to guess, and we have a little fun bonus game to go along with that. So that's the first thing we're going to do today is we want to talk about the PS2 stuff. And then we're going to go into the big story. And the reason we're doing the PS2 stuff first is because I think it's a little more fun, a little more jovial. The big story is another GameStop story. And I know people, like, I'm sure at least half the people that listen to this podcast are like, ugh, another GameStop story. But this is a pretty big one. And so we wanted to talk about that. So that way, if you want to hear some of the fun stuff, you can listen to the beginning and then you can bounce out halfway through and not have to listen to the rest. Even though I hope you stick around, it's it's going to be interesting. It's not GameStop bashing. I'm not a GameStop basher. Um, I worked there a long time. I loved what I did there and I love the people I met there and I have a lot of respect for the people that are still there. Um, yep. But it's a it's a pretty big deal. Um, it's it's about a, a a a battle between the stockholders and some of the uh, some of the like finance companies that own stock in GameStop want things to change and they put together a, a slide presentation. What was it, John? 85 slides. Yeah. 85 pages, 85 pages of why they should be allowed to add people to the board of GameStop because of why it's been failing over the last 10 years. So it's, so it's crazy. So we definitely want to talk about that, but I wanted to give people the opportunity where they don't have to listen to it. If they don't want to do, <laughs> so. do we want to do our pickup pile and game of the week? before that second story no that's a nice bonus for the people that stick around so or or at least who aren't too lazy just to fast forward swipe with their finger um but yeah so we're still gonna do that i've got my game of the week picked out i've got my pickup pile of the week as poultry as it is i've got it and yeah i think we're ready to go ready to do this my pickup pile of the week weighs about 400 pounds (laughs) uh so 
So that'll stay in my basement, uh, but I'll talk about it. Nice, nice. Um, all right, well, I'm going to queue us up, and then we're going to start talking about the rare PS2 game story. All right, and uh, all right. here we go. So first up on the podcast, hey, John, like I just mentioned, we're going to talk about some rare PS2 games. Uh, in, instead of talking about, like, a news story for a change, we, I, you know, you and I actually separately came across this article, both thought it was really interesting. And so we thought we'd have some fun with it. So one, we're going to go over this article... Uh, entitled 10 rarest ps2 games and how much they're worth then what i did was i went to price charting and i I ranked the ps2 games by price and we're gonna play a fun little game of does john own it (laughs) so we're gonna go down and then there's a bonus mini game of john only owns three greatest hits ps2 games and i'm gonna guess which ones they are so it's good. So that should be fun that's gonna be a fun time so to start this off though john the 10 rarest ps2 games so I guess as we go through this article first, this is where, do you want me to guess if you've got these in the article and then we'll go to price charting and kind of do it that way? Uh, we'll just go to the price charting one after. Um, okay. Just that way it's not confusing. But uh, th- there's some interesting ones on this list. I find it weird that they used a uh, graphic with Chun-Li from Street Fighter on it because I don't believe that that's on this list. <laughs> no, but but Capcom, SN- Capcom SNK, SNK Capcom Neo 2 or whatever is... I think okay. she's in that, but I agree. Kind of weird. Um, so let's let's just, let's just we're gonna go over this one quickly, and then we'll do the price charting thing, and we'll get to all the fun stuff. But I thought this article was interesting. Um, because number ten, they have rated as Wild Arms Alter Code F, which they say is between forty five dollars and one hundred and sixty dollars. I think one hundred and sixty would be brand new. I, I guess. Yeah. Um, really quickly, actually, let me look at that on price charting just real quick. Um. Am I like, <laughs> I'm missing it already? Where are we at here? Uh, Wild Arms 5. Why is Wild Arms 5 ahead of... Here's Alter Code F. So this this does not match really what they were looking at. So I don't know where they got their info from. Doesn't matter. Maybe they just did an eBay comparison or something. Totally fine. Doesn't matter. Um, now, Wild Arms Alter Code F is like a remake of the first Wild Arms, which I actually would argue is my the only wild arms game I like. And I love the first wild <laughs> arms. It's like up there very highly in my favorite RPGs. And, uh, and so I do own that one since we're not going to play the, does Greg own it game? When we get to price charting, I'll just say what I own out of this list. How about that? That's, so that's fine. <laughs> that's good. So I do own wild arms, alter code F. I'm a huge Japanese RPG collector. And this one is in my collection. I bought this when it came out. I have a sealed copy still. Um, Damn. Which, because John, you'll remember this, you know I have a lot of sealed PS2 RPGs. So originally when I was collecting, when I worked at at GameStop, I was collecting PS2 RPGs, PS1 and PS2 RPGs. And I would buy them, and if I didn't play them, I didn't open them. That was my rule. And I ended up not playing a lot of them, and not opening a lot of them. And this is one (laughs) of the ones I never opened. Um, When you helped me open my, my store, Game Trade, when you helped me open that, I as payment and as thank you, I gave you... Arch Nelico, I think it was Arch Nelico 2, the collector's edition, or was the first one. And funny story, uh, it was a sealed game, mint condition. Right in front of me, as soon as I hand it over to John, he rips it open and smells it. <laughs> and he rips it open, smells it, and then like just proceeds to look through the booklet. And, and I was like, what are you doing? But obviously, we're different types of collectors, but that opening it was a moment for you so it was cool and and honestly you helped me out so much when i opened the store initially that i was more than happy uh to give that to you so yeah, i opened my- yeah <laughs> uh which which i i do too when i'm gonna play them and and like even 
I was going to say, I have started to leave some stuff sealed if I'm not going to play it right away. Um, but for the most part, like, it, it's because the new games don't have books. Yes. Like, okay. I, I want to look at the manual and stuff on the old stuff. Whereas now that the new new consoles don't have books with the games, I it's like I've seen the disc. I don't really need to open it immediately. <laughs> nice. Uh, so next up on the game is Samurai Western. Now, I have played this game. I, I also own this game. I bought this game when it came out. I love this game. This is a really good game, actually, too. Uh, it's it's kind of weird because you play uh, as a samurai who is hunting his brother. So he comes to the United States, and it's uh, during the Wild West. But you're a samurai in the Wild West. So it's it's very, very cool. Um, and and it, had, it had really neat features like uh, you could... Like, one of the buttons was, like, you'd whip your sword really fast and deflect bullets. So people would shoot at you, and you could, like, cut the bullets and stuff. Very cool. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, next one was Dragon Ball Z Bodokai Tenkaichi 3. Uh, I don't have this game in my collection. Uh, it's a fine game. I don't really care much for them, to be honest. I liked them when they were more 2D, like just the regular Bodokai games. Um, when they went to the Tenkaichi and they started doing, like, the more 3D fighting, I was like, I, it's just not my style, but it is definitely a rare game, and it's not one you see very often. Fun story about this game, uh, I was selling one at my store probably about five or six years ago, and it had the rental residue in the middle where there's a rental sticker. Okay. So I sprayed some goo gone on the top, and I was I had it in my hand, and I was wiping the sticky off the middle, and it broke in half right in my hand. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <clears throat> right in front of the customer as I'm cleaning it before they bought it, and I was like, uh... And I actually had another one at the time. And, it, and I think then it was like a 30 or $40 game. Now it's a little higher. But that okay. was painful. And like right in front of the customer too. Like it just snapped right in half. Right in my hands. Was that after you resurfaced it? Or was it just like... No, I was just cleaning. I, th- I think it must... I mean, I must have... Obviously, I must have used like my, my monster paws. And I had it in my hand. And I didn't realize how tightly I was... Like... Because when I was pushing on the middle... You know, I'm, obviously I held it on the outside of the disc, not touch the surface. And I must have been, didn't realize like how tightly I had it, you know, and oh God, <laughs> that, that, that hurt. That was painful. Um, the next one, Capcom vs. SNK2. Uh, I see this one occasionally. I don't have it in my collection. I'm not a big fighting game guy. And in the fighting games I like, I typically am more of a Tekken guy. Um, not that this game's not good, but yeah, just not my thing. Um, <clears throat> number six was Echo Knight Beyond. <clears throat> this is a FromSoft game. I know you have this in your collection. <laughs> and I do have this in my collection, and and I have a sealed copy of this. I actually need a not sealed copy for my collection. <laughs> but I only have a sealed one because I found one. And it's actually a promotional copy because there's, there's a hole punched through the barcode, but okay. it's underneath the shrink wrap. Very strange. Really, really weird stuff. But that's how a lot of people may not know that. But when they sent out preview copies to places, or if they gave, like, when we were managers at GameStop, when they would give us free games, oftentimes they would drill a hole through the barcode because that was their way of saying, like, th- that way you can't take it back to a store, or you can't say it's new or anything like that. Um, obviously, at GameStop, you just trade it back in if you didn't want it, but uh, that was why they did it. Like, and, and sometimes they would straight up, like, drill a little hole through the shrink wrap, through the case and everything, just, like, just drill a hole in the back. And, like, Don't you did that. Yeah. Uh, with, like, their first-party titles on PS3, I've, I've yeah. seen a few... Yeah, just, just awful. Uh, Microsoft would just put a giant yellow uh, promotional yeah. copy uh, right on the front cover of, like, uh, Halo 4. I see it a lot on. Those are brutal, too. Like, they do not come <laughs> off. Those stickers are nasty. Um, well, the, I I think, I don't even think they're stickers. I think when, they're, when they were GameStop manager giveaways, they were just printed straight onto the actual cover. 
And then when their Microsoft employee store copies where you could buy them from the Microsoft store. For oh, cheaper, sure. Then sure. they put a giant sticker on it um, that usually had like some sort of employee information. And those are incredibly difficult. Yeah. Off. You just put it in a case, though. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't try to get it off. Just put it on a different case. Um, number five was dot hack quarantine. I don't have this, even though it is a Japanese RPG. I hate dot hack. I, I played the first <laughs> one and I, I think it's a terrible game. It's not fun at all. Every time a new one comes out, like, or I should say every time a, a copy comes into the store though, like someone will bring in all four. I want them. I always look at them and go, uh, now's the time I'm going to take these home. And I'm like, no, I hate these games. Like, don't just take it just because it's a rare RPG. Like if it's not good, don't take it. That's what I'm, I'm trying to get better. Right. As a collector, not just hoard everything. I find it weird that there hasn't been a resurgence of that series since the Sword Art Online series is so huge. Yeah. Because well, it's like the same idea. And they did the GU port to PS4, and they didn't do right. the original ones, which are the good ones. Like, the GU well, ones the nobody G- wanted. The GU port isn't even... Like, yeah, the those aren't the ones that are rare. Um, it, it is interesting because the GU port had the content from the collector's edition of dot hack gu1 on the disc which most people probably didn't actually see sure yeah that makes sense uh so number four on this list was god hand i absolutely have this game this is a clover studios game this was uh how they made this and made okami (laughs) i'll never understand how the (laughs) same (laughs) um i'm sorry what was that isn't that one of your favorites? I, I like it. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites. It's very unique. The box art's mental with the fist getting punched through the guy's mouth. Uh, <laughs> but the game's incredibly difficult. And so it's a little frustrating, but it's got like this weird kind of... It, what I call it is it's like it's old Capcom style of arcade gameplay, but it's not Cap or it's a Capcom, not Sega. You know, and I don't know what it is about it, but it's got a certain charm to it, and I absolutely love it. But um, next up is a horror game called Kuon. Um, I'm pretty sure I have that actually. Yes, I do have that. Uh, I don't know anything about this game. I never played it. <laughs> it's a horror game though. And I, I think I got it when it was like a $50 game and now gonna, it's going mental. Yeah. Like what is that? Like a $200 game now at this point? If not uh, more? They claim 185 to $600, but 600 must be obviously a sealed one. Yeah. But that's crazy. Now this one surprised me mostly because the range is really doesn't make any sense. But this is not a good game. This is Wizardry Tale of the Forsaken Land. I do not have this game. But they the range is $21 to $800. It's very weird. Uh I don't I don't know if they've, you know, came across like a an anomaly eBay auction or something. But uh yeah, it's an RPG. It's an Atlas RPG, but it's Wizardry, which obviously is was known for a lot of like dungeon crawlers in the early in the 90s and PC and then the NES even had a few like, you know, screen by screen dungeon crawlers. And uh, I do not have that game. Uh, but my my remembrance of it when I played it when it came out was that it was not good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a first-person RPG. Um, and then number one, they have listed as Rule of Rose, which is $209 to 775 um, I don't Again, I don't know where they get these ranges from if 209 is like loose disc and 775 is sealed. But the game complete goes for about 350 um, I have an empty case and booklet in my store for it <laughs> just in case I see a disc come by anytime in the future. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, 
it's a pretty lame horror game, to be honest. It's not great. It's just rare. And it's published by Atlas. So, of course, it gets everyone excited. Now, there were some notables, like, off this list. And we'll note that once we go back. So, now we're back on the price charting list. Uh, we'll go back to the top. And so, I'm going to play Does John Own It? Yep. So, um, so once we so Rule of Rose here says Loose is 223 and New is 775. So, that actually is exactly what they said, wasn't it? 209 to 775 so okay but complete oh, box i'm gonna dip out for a second i gotta pick up a pen oh boy all right all right <laughs> so i'm gonna uh, mark down whether you get it right or not now now uh these these are in order of what the most expensive games loose are i can't sort them well maybe can i sort them just by so they don't let me sort by like the complete in box price so this is not necessarily the quote unquote most rare games, but this is just what price charting has for, it's just for funsies. So, you know, don't hate on it. So rule of Rose. Um, I'm going to say you don't have this one. Okay. Are you going to tell me right away or what am I going to find out? Damn it. Okay. <laughs> See now it's rare and I thought you would have it, but I just, for some reason I felt like the horror games, maybe you wouldn't have picked up, but now, now, now I have to change my whole thinking. Um, so the next one up is Kuan. I'm going to say you don't have this one either. Uh, you are correct on that. All right. I, that one is just more hard to find than, I mean, I've seen rule of roses. I've seen haunting grounds, but Kuan, you just do not see. And Kuan jumped a ton of price very quickly. Like it was not that expensive of a game that all of a sudden just skyrocketed. Um, I swear I've seen that game at like 20 bucks. And was like, oh, I don't oh know yeah, what the hell that is. It looks like generic garbage, and never bought it. And then, yeah. like years later, I saw the value, and I was like, oh my god. Yeah, and it just kept going and kept going. Um, Haunting ground. Now, this was absent from that list we just looked at. Actually, they didn't list Haunting Ground. That was like the first thing right. I noticed, and and that's kind of the big three: Ruler Rose, Haunting Ground, and Kuan are like the three horror games that are like mega rare. I'm sure Metal Jesus did a video on it or something and doubled the value of them online. <laughs> Um, I'm going to say you do have Haunting Ground because that one's a lot more accessible. Yes. You are correct. All right. Excellent. And that's a Capcom horror game, which I also understand is not very good, but I've never played it. So, uh, there's like no, like you cannot physically attack anything. I don't believe in that game. I think the dog does all the work. Yeah, I think that's correct. Um, so next up is a little bit of a rare one, but it's Xenosaga three, but the lenticular cover. Now, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, if this is a loose list, how is the lenticular cover on this? Well, exactly. You wouldn't know the difference between a three lenticular. It's not a loose list. This is a list of all the games. It just okay. sorted them by the loose price. So, like, what, what they say is the rarest game is just the highest price loose, not the okay. highest price new or complete box, even though they're going to be pretty simple. You know, like, the order would be pretty similar, I think. Um, I'm going to say you do not have the lenticular cover, but you do have the regular Xenosaga 3. That would be correct. The lenticular cover I've only ever seen once. Uh, and I think I think I've got a sealed copy of the lenticular cover one. Where was that even from? I don't know. Hmm. I can't I could not tell you. Um, so next up dot hat quarantine, you definitely have dot hat quarantine. Mm-hmm. Now, do you yep. remember, and these are mega rare because they don't even have them listed here. They did all those dot .hack games had collector's editions. 
that came with really? that came with figures. So there there is a Wait, dot hack four what? quarantine that came in a cardboard box with that game and a little figure with like a window package, like a little GI Joe okay. size figure. Oh my god, they're so rare. And I remember at Bay Park Square GameStop when I was manager there. We had one that the reserve never picked up. And I remember looking at it going, I should buy this. Uh, I don't really like this game. I'm not going to buy it. And that thing is like, you never see them for sale anywhere. It's just just crazy cool. That is weird. I did not know about those. Oh, yeah. it was They, they were weird. And I think even GU did something like that too. But um, So now this one, uh, I mean, I guess it's the limited edition, so it makes sense. So the Shin Megami Tensai Persona 3 FES limited edition. So I thought that persona three i thought the festival i thought the festival edition was just a disc I, I didn't know they did a collector's edition of the festival they did do a collector's of the first persona three like i know that so right I, i'm gonna say you have the persona three collector's edition but not the fes well you probably have the fes edition too i would assume you have both that's my guess yeah. final answer <laughs> all right Okay, so that's FES. But see, that's what's so weird is this: the listing here says FES Limited Edition. Is that what it so, says, like, on the case? No, it just says FES. What I'm guessing is that the Limited Edition, so this is Persona 3 Limited. That's what I was um, looking at, yep. I'm guessing that the FES Limited was probably something only sold on Atlas's website, maybe? Well, the FES but, Edition was basically like a director's cut, and that came out to stores. I mean, well, that w- No, I'm saying the, the, if there is a special edition. Gotcha. I see what you're saying. Okay. I gotcha. Well, I'll have to do a little bit of research on that. And if anybody knows who's listening or watching, leave us a comment uh, and tell us all about it. Yeah, because I know that Ify, uh, Idea Factory on their store, and NIS on their web stores have been doing a lot of collector's editions only through their stores. Yeah, that's true. Which is is awful. Um, Okay. Blood Will Tell. I I have this game. I'm going to say you do not have this game. No. No, I don't think you have. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> nice. That is awesome. Does yours have a booklet? Can yes, I can I have your booklet for my copy? No, you can't. Damn it! <laughs> yeah, we got one trade at the store with no booklet, and I was like, uh, yeah, I'm taking this, this in a hot minute. Um, okay, the next one. Def Jam Fight for New York. <sighs> Uh, this is also messed up. There's there's no way this game is not ninety nine ninety nine loose and one hundred and five dollars complete in box. It's not. It's on that list twice as well with the regular and the uh, greatest hits edition, which I find weird. Okay, so that just means the pricing's all messed up. Okay, so Def Jam Fight for New York. I think the pricing on this is wrong. I think it's closer to a sixty or seventy dollar game. But I'm gonna say you definitely have this one. Damn it! I do. Oh, okay. But not on PlayStation uh, Two. I have it on Xbox. They did fight for New... Oh, yeah, yeah, they did. Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm going to count it as a win. I'm going to say I'm right because uh, I just I feel like... It. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, the Resident Evil 4 Chainsaw Controller. So this isn't a game. This is the Chainsaw Controller. You have to have this. Uh, it's not up there, but I do have it. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> um, I, I should have bought wait, that about a hundred times. Or do you have the GameCube have... one? I have the GameCube one. I don't have the PlayStation one. All right. Well, I was still, um, I'm calling myself right on that one too. 
the PlayStation one's cooler too because the start button is a pull chain. Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> like that—that that was amazing. So, who did that controller? Was that Hori? Uh, no, I believe that was Nubby Tech. That sounds right. I could, I could be wrong, but I know that I that company was making a bunch of random controllers at that time. Mm. Didn't they make like those stupid monster controllers where like they hurt your hand just to grab it? <laughs> It had, like, teeth oh, and spikes God. all over it. Do you remember those? <laughs> yes. No, I think you're right. I think it, I think that was... The chainsaw controller, I believe, was Hori. Man, that's... Uh, if only Because I've got a bunch of weird Hori controllers. Like, because Hori did the slime controllers for Dragon I've got Quest. i those. Yeah. Uh, they, they did the Onimusha sword controller, which is useless. I've never uh, seen it. I've never seen it. Uh, I want it bad. Um, I also have the, uh, PlayStation 2 Tiny B guns, uh, which were an import controller from Final Fantasy X-2. Nice. Uh, which are also useless. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on. Um, I'm gonna do, I don't know, like maybe five or six more of these. Um, so Marvel's, how many did you look up? How far down did you go? There's a lot of games sitting next did to Did you me. do the whole list? Okay, well, we'll I see. did about 50. 50? Yep. <laughs> oh, you're crazy, man. Okay, Mar- Marvel versus Capcom 2. Uh, not as good as the Dreamcast version, but I love playing it on the PS2 controller more. I have this game in my collection. I'm going to say you do as well. You are correct. Sweet. I mean, that's just that was a staple. Like, the Marvel versus Capcom game was an enjoyable game as well. And I know you're into fighters a bit. You and Gibson used to play a bunch of fighters. Uh, hanging out in each other's basements in your underwear, you know, what, what guys, what, what boys do in the summer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When we were kissing. <laughs> on each other um, okay. Manakamea two fall of alchemy. Now there's an alchemic art collection. So basically Manakamea two has a regular and has a collector's edition with an art book basically. So this is the art book edition. I'm going to say you have this one. It's a Japanese RPG. And I'd be very surprised if you didn't. It should have a cardboard outer box, and it's like a light green color. Ah! Oh no! <laughs> I died. <laughs> this is uh, this is high quality production values you get here, everybody. <laughs> so to the podcast <laughs> listeners, John was showing me a game, and his phone just tumbled. <laughs> his phone just completely tumbled off the yeah, table. The setup I use to keep my phone up is quite fancy yeah my understanding is he has a retron 5 that he puts his phone in then has a bunch of what do you call them it's two rubber reusable straws (laughs) (laughs) uh so i was right so you have that one yep um dragon ball z bodukai tenkaichi 3 i know mark was really big in dragon ball i feel like you weren't but that was around the time when you were buying everything I'm going to say, I'm going to go on a limb. I'm going to say you don't have it. You are correct. I <laughs> hate Dragon Ball and did not like that game. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um, okay, this is an easy one. The next one up is Futurama. You definitely have that game. You're a big now, Futurama fan. I own it for Xbox. I'm fairly certain I own it for PlayStation, and my, my collection app says I own it, but I could not locate it. Interesting. So I... I would say, yes, you're right, I own it, but I couldn't find it. Interesting, interesting. Uh, uh, this also 
this entire endeavor I did last night made me realize that I should probably alphabetize my PS2 stuff. I cannot believe you don't alphabetize your collection. That it it that sickens me, John. Sickens I have like six thousand video games. <laughs> Um, I am slowly alphabetizing them. I did PlayStation when I built that shelf. I did Xbox. Uh, I just need to keep going. You're getting there. You're getting there. Uh, so Xenosaga 3, I think we covered that, right? Like you had it, just not the yep. lenticular. So the next up is Obscure, uh, which is a funny name because this game is kind of obscure, but it was a multiplayer survival horror game, and you could lose characters in the game and keep playing. So. Yeah, it was weird. It reminded me a lot of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer in that you're like a bunch of bunch of goofy teens in a high school. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you definitely have that game. That's that we call that a John ass game. Yeah, I I definitely have it. I that's another one I couldn't find. Um, it's it was only twenty bucks when it released. Nice. I was uh, I was at a store in Sheboygan last summer, and they had a sealed copy of the Xbox version for twenty bucks. And I snatched wow. that up. Yeah, and that was actually right before it kind of, like, launched. Because it was a normal-priced game for quite a while. And then all of a sudden, I, again, I, I jokingly say this, but somebody did a YouTube video on it because the price just went mental. <laughs> like, someone must have done, like, the, the hardest-to-find PS2 horror games or the best PS2 horror games, and all of a sudden the, the prices went crazy. And that was one of them that just, like, skyrocketed. There is a, a sequel to it that's not nearly as good. Um, yeah, the obscure aftermath. Yep, aftermath. Yep. Uh, so the next one on the list, robotic alchemic drive. I know you have that one because it was your game of the week, or we were talking about it not too long ago. <laughs> yep, that's a game. <laughs> um, Shin Megami Tensei Devil Summoner Two Raiho Special Edition. So this is the collector's edition that came in a plastic case, and then had the little Raiho uh, plush. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna guess you have two of them. Uh, <laughs> you are correct that I have at least one of them. But I, don't have two. I think I gave it away when I looked at it, though. <laughs> um, next up, Growlancer Generations Deluxe Edition. So, Growlancer Generations is that the good one or is that the bad one? Uh, there was Growlancer Heritage and Growlancer Generations. Yeah, Heritage is the bad one. So, Generations was yeah. the one that was, I think, a PS One RPG. And then Working Designs brought it out, I think, on PS2, like in a collection. Is that is that the story behind that? I think so. Because it's Growlancer. I have it in d- deluxe in the box. Came in the cardboard box. It was like I think there's a pocket watch in there, or something like that. Like some really cool collectibles with that one. Uh, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say you don't have that one. Yeah, damn it. Damn it! Is it in the? Is, is that in the box too? I couldn't tell from the. It is in the box. Nice. That is, and that's beautiful box. Like working designs. What a shame. They were trying to bring us not only games we weren't getting here, but they were really trying to elevate the quality of the packaging. Like the Lunar One and Two, Ark the Lad. I mean, all, everything they did, even Silhouette Mirage, they were at least trying to do something creative yeah. with the packaging. You know. Um. Wild Arms 5, the 10th anniversary edition. So this is Wild Arms 5, but it's in a little cardboard box with like a thicker manual on the outside of the case. Uh, uh, mm, I have a sealed copy of this, and I have it in my collection. Like when I say I have a sealed copy, I don't have any sealed copies at my house. I have sealed copies at the store. Um, but I'm going to say you do not have that one. Oh. I'm going on a limb because I feel like you shouldn't have all of them, but I should know that you would have that game, you know? 
Um, okay. You know, I, I'm trying really hard to not, like, look at anything or, like, give away that I know more about uh, the game. And I, and I, and I, when I, when I'm, I'm actually looking at the list because I'm trying not to look at you because I, I want to get these all legit. Okay, John, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, like, three more. All right. Okay, so next, and I'm skipping a couple because, like, for instance, this one's .hack GU Rebirth Special Edition. That's, like, the collector's edition of that game with the figure, I think, or whatever it came with. But, Is uh, that GU? Hmm? .hack GU Rebirth? Yeah, GU Rebirth, yeah. Uh, what, you would would you think that I wouldn't have it? The collector's edition or the regular? <laughs> oh, you do have the collector's edition. There's the box. <laughs> Look at that. Um. Okay, so Silent Hill Shattered Memories. Yeah, you've got Silent Hill Shattered Memories. You are correct. Um, and then M- MS Saga: A New Dawn. Now this game is really hard to get, but it's an RPG. MS Saga. I'm gonna say you don't have this one. You are correct. I do uh, not. It, it is. It's just hard to find. It's not even that it's overly expensive. I mean, it is expensive more so than like other games, but it's you just never see it. It's never anywhere. Except my collection, of course. <laughs> oh, there she is. What a what a beautiful spine, white spine label, solid black letters. <laughs> Just excellent. Okay, uh, last one. Steambot Chronicles. This is another mega obscure game. Again, not that it's super expensive. It is like a $100 complete game. Um, I don't think I have it. I do not have it, and that makes me mad. I'm going to say that you do have it, and that I want it, and that you missed my birthday this year. <laughs> nice. Nice. So how did I do, John? Um, In the guessing we went, game of what rare games did John have? We went through about 20. Nice. Uh, you got about... 12, 13 of them. Right. You missed about five. All right. I can live with that. <laughs> so now tell me about this other challenge you had for me with All the right. greatest hits games. So I have three greatest hits games in my PS2 collection. What are they and why do I? Own them? Okay. So for anyone who doesn't know, uh, after a game sells, I think 600,000 copies, it becomes eligible for the greatest hits program. Greatest Hits on PS2 is very similar to Player's Choice on Nintendo platforms and Platinum Hits on Xbox platform, which on the Microsoft platform, which basically is their way of re-releasing a game at a cheaper price. So they put a disgusting red label on the box, call it Greatest Hits, and sell the game brand new for 20 bucks. That's what that's what Sony does to kind of like like say, hey, these are great games, these are great selling games, let's re-release them to the market again to try to get some more sales, and they're budget priced at 20 bucks. That's the idea behind it. So I can think of two that I feel like for a fact you'll have, okay. but the third one, I'm I, I'm going to have to really think about it, but I'm going to, the first one's easy. First one's easy. The first right. one is, the first one is Silent Hill 2, because it has additional content on the disc. It's essentially a director's cut of the game. No. You, what? How do you, that's the easy one. How do you not have that? Uh, I believe I own Silent Hill 2 on Xbox. I do forget sometimes that you are, that, that a lot of times the, the better versions also came to Xbox and that you were primarily an Xbox guy back then. So, okay. Yeah. 
Okay, so that's a whiff on the first one, which I thought that was I thought that was in the bag. Like I that was my like ace in the hole guarantee. Um, okay, here was my second one I felt very confident about. Twisted Metal Black because it came with the online disc. Wrong again. What? Are you serious? No way. No <laughs> way. Oh my god. Uh, no way. I have I have the online disc separately. And I have Twisted Metal Black, Black the original release. And You're killing me, man. They censored Twisted Metal Black on the Greatest Hits re-release because uh, they edited some of the um, the videos after you beat the game. Interesting. See, I did not know that. Interesting yeah. little tidbit. So I, I'm at a loss because I couldn't think of a third one anyway. Um, I'm, I'm running through my head real quick just to see if there's anything else that jumps out at me. And I, I can't think of a, another one. I can't think of another one, let alone the other two that you have. So please, I'll go. I'll take the L on this one. I'm over three. What are the three greatest hits games you have in your collection, and why do you have them? All right. Mm. Midnight Club Three Dub Edition. Damn it! Yeah. Remix. Uh, Dub Edition has tons more cars, uh, and I think they might have even a new area to the game. I and forgot about Dub Edition Remix. Mm-hmm. Okay. Midnight. Midnight Club 3 Dub Edition is a fantastic game, and they went so far from what made that game good in Midnight Club LA. It, it's unfortunate. I hated LA, dude. I couldn't play it, and I, I love Midnight Club 3. Like, that's one of my well, favorite racing games. LA was like, they punished you for racing. Like, <laughs> I stopped I stopped racing outside of the races because I had, like, negative $12,000. I was like... I can't afford to speed through this stoplight because if I get pulled over, I'm going to get a bunch of tickets. And so I started driving by obeying the law in that game. And even doing that, the cops were so overzealous. Like I rolled past the stop line by like a, like an inch of the bumper. And I, I stopped at this intersection and the cop lit up its lights and pulled me over. And then I was like, I was like, this sucks. Uh, they, 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 brought me to the police station in the game and then after i after i was able to drive again from the police station i took off too quickly and, <laughs> and the cops were on me again i was like i'm done with this game yeah that that sounds too close to the real life stories you were telling us last week so why would yeah. we want to relive that right uh, okay midnight club 3 dub edition remix so that makes uh, total sense okay virtual fighter 5 evolution or 4 evolution I hate that. I hate Virtual Fighter. <laughs> it's just such a bad fighter. <laughs> but fair enough. Version of the game has tons of new character. They have two new characters in it, a bunch of extra moves and stuff. So like, this is basically a second version of the game. So let me let me let, let's let's reminisce about this real quick. Here's a, here's an interesting thought. Look how much gaming's changed from the PS2 to the PS4 era. PS2, they would re-release the game at $20 and give you a bunch of extra stuff for free. Yep. Now, they release a game like Tekken 7, which I love Tekken, but their their season pass is the most like egregious garbage ever. So they sell you the game for 60 bucks and then sell you multiple packs for $20 for 2 years after the release of the game. So you end up paying $120 for a game when back in the day, if you didn't buy it right away, they're like, "Oh, by the way, here's a whole bunch of extra stuff at the cheaper price because we just want you to buy it. So they added, 
they added value to the product to get people to buy it as opposed to milking the customers that were already in the ecosystem. Now they do kind of still do that with the WB Mortal Kombat and Injustice games. Because sure. if you're patient, they usually do the extra creamy edition that has the game plus the season pass um, about six months after all the season yeah, pass. Yeah, which a greatest out. hits game would be probably about the same. So that makes sense. Yeah. All right, game number three. Mm-hmm. Uh, does it help if I say the character has white hair? Character has white hair. Character has white hair. Character has white hair. No, it doesn't at all. All right. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I should have guessed that. That was that was obvious. Man, I can't believe. So really, there's. Counting the other two, there's five, at least five greatest hits games worth having. Yeah, I mean, I don't count Virtual Fighter, but I know you do. So, <laughs> the, well, it got, the, the reason I want greatest hits titles ever is if it comes with all of the DLC on the disc, yeah, or extra content. That's why I buy greatest hits games. Um, so the other thing I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit is games that I feel like should be on the the list for value. Sure. Actually really quickly, right before you do that, in yeah. case you didn't know this, it's kind of a horse apiece, but you can get that version of Devil May Cry three in a black label. You have to buy it in the Devil May Cry trilogy box set. Okay. But then it says this is part of a set and there's no barcode on it. So you either have to take the red greatest hits label or you do the black one with the no barcode that says part of a set, but it is a way to get that game in black label. If you wanted to, you know, circumvent the rules a little bit. Do you have that game in Black Label? Uh, hold on, let me look here. It turned. It keep turning. Uh, oh, the side eye. <laughs> <laughs> I do not. I actually okay. the only game I have right now is Devil May Cry Two. Um, I'm st- <laughs> the, the best. Yeah, the best one, of course. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I'm I'm struggling. I'm 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 in the, I'm in mid crisis, struggling with my collection, like. If I have the Devil May Cry collection for PS4, do I want the games individually on PS2? You know, like, and, and there's a part of me that says, well, yeah, just get them. They're cheap. Who cares? But then it's like, then I feel like there's a part of me that I'm just stacking the collection. So I don't know. I, I'm in a little bit of an identity crisis with my collection when it comes to like that specifically. But anyway, sorry. So you were saying that there were some rare expensive games in your collection that that list left off. What do you well, got? Not necessarily expensive, but things that I think should be more expensive. All right. Grand Theft Auto San Andreas weird cardboard cover edition. Sure. Uh, do you know where this originally came from? Um uh, it had a it had a cardboard outer box. I think it was just a special edition or something, wasn't it? I, I thought it was you. like I, I thought it was a cardboard box that had like the booklet and that and then I, th- what is the, oh, what is the deal with that? I, I can't remember the exact story with that. I'm blanking on that. All right. So moving on. Uh, the late PS2 PSP ports. Upgrade. Ports. <laughs> so sure. Secret Agent Clank, Jack and Daxter, Lost Frontier, uh, and MotorStorm Arctic Edge. Um, they're they're decent 
additions to great franchises. Um, I was surprised that Limited Run didn't, uh, or they didn't port this to PS4, the the Jack game, because hmm. uh, I would have appreciated playing this on a console more than the Jack X racing game. Sure. But didn't, uh, didn't uh, Naughty Dog still did Jack X, didn't they? They did. And I don't think they did Frontier. So I wonder if that uh, that, right. that was part of it too. I mean, I don't know what the rights are. I mean, obviously Sony, I think, owns the rights ultimately to that. But yeah, yeah. Just, High just... Impact Games did uh, uh, Lost Frontier. Oh, they went on to great things. Great many great things. <laughs> so uh, the other ones I was going to bring up. So the Eureka Seven games. Those are never worth anything. They're not. <laughs> But you like, I never saw them when they originally released. Yeah, they are they are um, uncommon. You never see them around. Yeah, are are there only two, or is there another one? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have two of them. Um, so these are weird. Uh, Sid the dummy, which uh, the copy I have is also one of those punched uh, promo copies. Sure. Uh, so a late release PS two game. Sid the dummy's uh, worth uh Sid the dummy's worth uh five bucks, six bucks. <laughs> uh Adventures of Darwin is another game that I just ne- you never see. Sure. Yeah, there's just two uh, Eureka Seven games, volume one, volume two. Okay. And then I had never seen this until last year at uh Midwest Gaming Classic swashbucklers red to red versus gray which is a pirate uh civil war game mm-hmm. <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing uh, and then i got two more all right uh this is an actual good game uh our type final uh part of the uh idos fresh games label uh when they were importing uh, random games to the U.S. Uh, it's got a ridiculous number of ships in it. One of the worst uh, covers, too. Like, their fresh games label <laughs> with the yellow border. Ugh. Ugh. Just gross. Uh, I didn't mind it. I like what? the spine is, like, very, very identifiable. The, the only one I have... Actually, I have two. But they didn't... Is Lagaya two part of the fresh games? It was right. Yeah, like I have Lagaya two and I have Mister Mosquito. Those are the two. Okay. That... Mosquito, <laughs> um, Lagaya, R Type Final, and Mad Maestro. The last one. Yep, yep. Which I don't think's very good, Mad Maestro. Uh, it came with a wand, uh, accessory in Japan, mm-hmm. and you didn't get it in the U.S. <laughs> nice. Uh, and then the last one that I think should be worth just a little bit, uh, Tony Hawk American Wasteland Special Edition. I love the cover of that. I love the cover of that box. Well, because the collector's edition actually has extra levels that are not on the regular disc. And this is back in the days of them actually putting content on the disc, not just having a stupid uh, download code in the box. Yeah, that reminds me of Need for Speed Most Wanted Black Edition. Black Edition had extra cars in it too. Like that was a that was a unique thing. And I think Carbon did the same thing on PS2. They had like a collector's edition that might have included an extra car. I know the Black Edition did it for sure. Um, yeah, the, Most Wanted, but Carbon had an Evo on a mountainside cliff, mm-hmm. uh, and 
so I told that story about spinning out in that uh, police station parking lot last week. <laughs> um, I did it in a 2004 BMW M3, uh, which is on the cover of the Need for Speed Most Wanted game. Uh, and because of that, that game kind of infuriated me because you could only play with that car in two missions of the yeah. game. The first mission, when it breaks on you yep. and doesn't drive right, you get and sabotaged. Yep. Where or, and the last mission where you are being chased by nine hundred police cars. Um, <laughs> so, so, so like it was like your game. real life then. It was it was like real life for you. Yes, they, they <laughs> put the car on the cover, but then don't let you drive it in the game. It's, Man, it's awful. Well, if it makes you feel any better, the only car. And it wasn't technically my car because, as you know, I had a rally art, not an Evo. But my, I got the cover of Juice Two. That was it. The, it was that's a blue Evo on the cover of Juice Two. Okay. Uh, but you know, yeah, that's so. So I got juiced. At least you got a Need for Speed game. I just got juiced. Uh, it, I have one <laughs> random question for you. Sure. Just random PS2 trivia question. Um, there are two games that work with the Res Trans Vibrator. <laughs> uh, one of them is Res. Do you know what the other one is? I do not. Uh, it was released in the U.S. as a double pack. Uh, the second Space Channel Five game is the only other game that that worked with that thing. Interesting. I'm assuming you fully tested it out. Why don't you really quickly for the podcast listeners and the YouTube viewers? Why don't you explain what that is? Uh, the Trans Vibrator is a. It, it looks like a barber shaver that you'd use to shave somebody's head without the blade on the top of it. Mm -hmm. And it is a vibrator that pulses with the beat of the music. uh, Very, very, very hard. Um, So like if you were to like have it against you, it'd be like getting punched in the shoulder (laughs) every time there was a uh, bass beat. I don't think, Uh, I don't think, I don't think that markets to most people who want to use a vibrator, John. (laughs) Maybe not. <laughs> it just um, pounds it. <laughs> the well, the the designer of Res like wanted his game to be a full body experience. Mm. So okay. like when they ported Res to the PS4, he I believe he brought on stage this like server rack with like some machine contraption on it, and then there was like a full body suit version of that that idea where like it would pulsate your entire body man that guy um, that's how he spends his time doing good, yeah good, i'm good guessing him. he gets real high and then plays some reds yeah good on him <laughs> uh are there any games that you think should be more valuable on ps2 that you're kind of surprised aren't man i wish i had uh i wish that i had prepared a little bit for that because i would say um i mean I'll just kind of flip through my collection really quick. I mean, there's a lot of games that are worth money, you know, um, deservingly, and some aren't. I don't really think I have anything that I think should be worth more money. I guess I would say, um, and it's starting to go up now, but the Aqua Teen Ninja Zombie Pro-Am. Oh, that, the terrible the, golf game. The terrible golf game. <laughs> uh, Harvey Birdman for PS2. I always okay. thought that that should be worth more. Like, those Adult Swim games had actual, like, original animation done just for the games. Um... And Harvey Birdman's basically uh, Phoenix um, Wright. Yeah, it's basically Phoenix Wright. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, Way of the Samurai, I always thought deserved more love than it got. 
you know, really obscure kind of game. And obviously it spawned a lot of sequels, but the first one is the only one I really have any interest in. Um, yeah, other than that, eh, not really. Mm. I mean, everything I kind of look at, I feel like it, it does what you'd expect. Like it, it gets the, the just desserts, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't really, I don't think there's anything that I think deserves more. Not really. That was a fun segment, man. I'm glad we talked about PS2. That was a blast. All right, let me close that out. Let me get my thing shut up here. Let's see. Okay, so... Oh, boy. (laughs) There's so much to talk about this GameStop story. But anyway, uh, so we're going to queue it up here and talk about it. But um, I I was talking with you about this earlier, John. I... I think that the podcast listeners will appreciate this, but I think I want to do more of what we just did with the PS2 chat. Like, I like the idea of doing a one news story, talking about it, do some sort of collecting fun fun thing, right? Like, we'll, like whether it's this one with rare PS2 games, or what if we did the same thing next week, but with, like, PS1 games or something? Like, we could do that. I mean, I kind of, like, would like to do it differently, like, not just do, oh, hey, look, I'm price charting, this game's rare and this game's not. I think we could get more creative with it, but I like that idea. Like, I like the idea of talking like we were about, Hey, did you know this? Or where did this game come from? Or what's the, like, I like sharing my information about collecting as much as I do about the news stuff. So maybe that's something we can try to work in in the future. Hopefully everybody listening liked it. Cause I, I thought it was great, man. I, that, that I was so excited to talk about that. In fact, I was stressing a little bit on the way home. Cause I knew that we had to do this GameStop story, which I know I don't have to do it, but like John and I are both, long time ex GameStop guys. So we kind of have to, because it's just our wheelhouse. Like it's what we, we have so much to say about it. We know so much about it and this is going to be a long video. So I was like, I want to do the PS2 thing. I don't want to cut the PS2 thing to talk about the GameStop thing. So I'm glad we still got it out there. Um, Also, I just got to say, I feel like I'm going to be a little bit out of my element because there's a lot of, I don't know how much of the, the financial side of things that you're going to really want to dive into. I mean, it's, there's so much to unpack here. There's no way to get to it all. So I'm going to be going pretty quick, but it's probably going to be about, if I had to guess, it's going to be an hour. It just has to, it has to be like, I don't know. I don't know how we get out in under an hour, but I am going to be pushing it. I'm going to be pushing the pace on this one because I don't want to like hang on the same things, but obviously there's, there's a lot here. Um, so I'm going to queue us up and then we're going to talk about it and then, yeah, and then we've got our game of the week. We've got our pickup piles of the week, and then we're out of here, man. We're going to bounce, and that'll be it. And uh, really quickly, before I forget, I actually wanted to say this at the beginning of the show. There won't be an episode next week. So I'm, I'm taking a break. Uh, we're taking a break next week, and then we should be back the week after that, um, unless something crazy happens. That'll be The week after that will be the first week that I'm open. I've got a little extra work I've got to do at the store to get it ready for um, like opening again. So uh, unfortunately, I won't be able to do the podcast next week. But we'll figure it out. And so just as a heads up, everybody listening, that uh, if you made it this far, <laughs> that uh, there will not be an episode of Game Talk Radio next week. So that would be tomorrow would be the 21st or today would be the 21st when you're listening to this. So the 28th, we will not have one. We'll be back in June. So we're just taking a week off. No big deal. Um, but I'm going to queue us up, John. Here we go. All right. So next up on the podcast today, John, like I had mentioned earlier, we are going to be talking about GameStop again. And I know that this is a topic that 
some have commented before that we have definitely drawn out, and I don't think so. I think that um, our, both of our histories, having worked for the company each over 10 years, uh, it's just I feel like we've earned like the ability to talk about this stuff the way we do. Um, also, yeah. we're not GameStop bashers. Uh, this isn't like a, hey, look, we're here to, to, to tank and destroy GameStop. Like we, we, I think we like to discuss it in a level-headed way, and since we both worked there a long time, we can relate to a lot of the things being said here. So that's kind of there's my little also, thing here. There's also people whose entire channels is just bashing GameStop every single day. So. Yeah, exactly. And and if you can't like, get enough of it, you can watch that. But if you like our take on it, you know, and last time we did a GameStop video, I think we broke it into like four parts because it was literally an hour conversation or more. And so I knew that nobody would consume an hour at a time. So I thought breaking it up would be nice. But then a lot of people thought that I was really milking it. I'm like, no, literally it was just an hour and a half conversation about GameStop. <laughs> I just, I just didn't want to put an hour and a half video up, but we'll see how this one goes. You know, obviously I want, I want to put it out there so people consume it, but not get drawn out by it. But anyway, so this is kind of a big deal. So, uh, we have here in front of us, uh, basically, so I'm going to be honest. I, I, I'm struggling to understand some of this stuff, um, because I don't know part of the process of how this gets started, but here's my understanding of the situation thus far that, uh, coming up, there's going to be a vote for all the stockholders at GameStop. Um, now GameStop about a week ago put out an article saying that they urge stockholders to use the blue proxy card to vote for all of GameStop's 10 highly qualified director nominees in connection with the company's upcoming annual meeting of stockholders. So they're basically saying, use your blue proxy card. They send out a packet to all the stockholders and they say, Hey, look, you get to vote. You have a blue proxy card or a white proxy card. We want you to vote blue. Vote blue means we stick to our guns. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing and it's all good. Well, uh, a few a few stockholders, um, Permit Capital, an enterprise fund, and Hestia uh, are recommending that people vote with the white proxy card, which would, uh, my understanding is that it's going to uh, uh, give them the ability to put their pe- some people that they recommend onto the board. It's almost like it's almost like an amendment, right? Like when you vote and it's like, hey, uh, we're um, like like the city has an addendum that they're going to put up like, Hey, we want to build a new park. These guys have put an addendum up saying, Hey, we want to have two new board members because we feel like the company's not doing the, the best thing they could do to make their stock price go up and to reward the stockholders. So with that being said, they put together an 85 page slideshow about why you should vote white and get rid of some of the current GameStop leadership and transfer to their leadership. And this document uh, is incredible. There is more in here than we could ever hope to unpack in even hours. Like, realistically, John, we should have sat down for like three hours with this thing and just went slide by slide, just eating it up. But I think we can do a good job of, of passing it through. Now, I will say, this is clearly from the perspective of the company trying to get people to vote against GameStop. Uh, current leadership. So obviously this document is going to highlight things that make them look bad, current leadership at GameStop corporate, and it's going to emphasize things that they think they could do better, right? Let's just be realistic about it. This is not uh, an unbiased source. This is the most biased source you could get. Um, However, GameStop a week ago released their 
letter telling everybody not to do it. So I guess all's fair and love and corporate takeovers. So with that being said, uh, there's a few slides. I have, I have some notes here about some of the slides in particular. We're going to start on slide number five. Slide number five says, why are we here? GameStop is a valuable business with significant competitive advantages in the gaming retail industry. Despite this fact, GameStop's board has overseen $2.5 billion in stockholder value destruction. I love the wording there. Underperforming <laughs> its peers by 13 times in the past five years. Permit slash Hestia, again, that's the finance groups that are bringing this like white card proxy vote signed a cooperative agreement with the board last year, hoping they could influence the board through collaborative engagement, but the board refused to meaningfully engage and have continued to move too slowly. So they're arguing that basically they signed an agreement saying, listen to us, we'll help get you out of the gutter, and that no one in the current leadership at GameStop has gone along with that willingly. Uh, they go on to note that share price declined 65%. In fiscal 2019, and the company may face a serious liquidity issue by March of 2021. For instance, there's notes due in less than 10 months, which traded at par 12 months ago, now trade at 74 cents on the dollar as of May 15, 2020. And short interest has increased from roughly 40% when we signed the CA to roughly 100% over the past 14 months. The spot rate on short borrow has stayed above 100%. So that's just not, that's just not good numbers. Um, and then they go on to say more changes needed and urgently and that they have nominated two strong candidates who will bring not only turnaround experience and a shareholder perspective, but also extensive capital market expertise, which is des uh, desperately needed as the company attempts to regain credibility with investors. So that sounds like a lot of, a lot of uh, hubbub, you know, and basically what they're saying is the leadership at GameStop right now is not doing what it needs to do to make money for stockholders. So they want to put two people on the board that they think can have influence that will, in fact, make the company better. So the next well, page. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, John. Well, I was going to say they're targeting two people on GameStop's board that they are saying don't have the experience that really GameStop needs as a retail company uh, right. and that they're holdovers. Do you know what slide that one is on? Oh, where they it's somewhere yeah. down here. Because somewhere like, on this list, <laughs> one of the one of the guys they're targeting is a he was an executive from the Nextel phone company. Yeah, uh, and he was brought on board when GameStop pushed into Spring Mobile when they bought up a bunch of AT and T stores, and uh, they bought Spring Mobile in like 2013. I could be wrong about that. Um, when it was like 15 stores, and they blew it out to like 700 stores in like yeah. four or five years. And then about or in 2018, um, these guys that wrote this giant uh, PowerPoint pu pushed them to sell off those tech, that tech brand. Yep. And so the guy on the board of directors was there to really champion the, this, launch into telecom but we're not they're not in telecommunications anymore right so they still but have the still yeah they have the guy on the board who like was brought on because they got into telecom and now they're not in it anymore and he's still on the board so like what is this guy doing so i don't know yeah. what that guy did to piss off the guys who made this slide but they they got it out for that poor sucker well i think the other um 
it could be the same guy. It could be the other guy. But uh, one of them has airline experience. Uh, he's an executive with airline industry. And then the other, uh, one of the other ones is he, he was like, high up in waste management. You know what's weird though is part of the complaint and it's in the slides here is that they feel like too many of the executives are too retail focused. That's literally one of the some of the things they say in here which means they're trying to get them to understand that you need to have retail focused for the operations side but you still need to have people that are stockholder focused on the other side. Now, I could argue when I was at GameStop, I could tell immediately once GameStop became a publicly traded company, I was there for that transition. And that the, you could feel that the company stopped doing things that were right to make money and started doing things that were good for stock price. Um, when GameStop bought EB Games all those years ago, EB Games stock price was mental, but they were hemorrhaging money. So the stock price was was looking good, but the company wasn't good. And so, you know, the stock price being good doesn't always necessarily mean the company is healthy, you know, first and foremost. But anyway, the, that's, you know, kind of the gist of it is that they feel like you can't just run this like a regular retail store. Like we need to have some people who care about the stockholders and, and make that work. So at first you hear that and you go, well, I don't really like that because I don't want them. I don't want this company to be stockholder first. And now this slide, is it all true? I mean, we won't know, but there is some interesting stuff near the bottom about customer service and employee satisfaction that I want to get into. Um, so we're, we're taking a, we're, we're, we're swinging into slide number seven here. And, uh, and it says here, the world's largest video game retailer has over $6 billion in annual revenue, but negative free cash flow in 2019. And that negative free cash flow is $493 billion. Okay, so in 2018, they put... And now, this is something I've said many times in here, and people give me crap for it all the time, even though it's accurate. GameStop is a company whose stock has always been in the toilet. Like there, there have been times where it's really peaked and done well, but for the most part, it's always, Oh, when's, when are video games going to die? And it's always been one of those stocks that people are always iffy to buy, even though the company's usually been pretty solid in 2017, they had positive 322, excuse me, million, not billion. I, when I said yes, 493, yeah. I meant million. Sorry. My apologies. If, uh, if you couldn't tell, I, I had a very, I, I saw the look on your face. Yeah, sorry. Okay, so so in 2017, they ended the year with 322 million in positive cash, positive cash flow. In 2018, they had 231 positive, and then they went from 231 positive to 493 million dollars negative free cash flow. So that's a flip of you know like 700, 700 million dollars i mean that's crazy that that's a, that's a big loss from 2018 well, to 2019 well in 2018 they sold spring mobile for 700 million dollars yeah so would they have also posted a massive loss in 2018 had they not done had that they as not well? sold it off yeah and and uh, that's one in one of the slides down here too but they complain that they, they sold that for $700 million and, and the board, what I like about these slides is they, they kind of go after the board members and say, here's what they said to like prop up the board. Because we talked about this when, when we talk about their their financial calls and stuff. We're like, yeah, this is all just kind of jargon. Like this doesn't, this doesn't check with reality, but it sounds good to stockholders who don't know. And yeah. so 
they go and they say some of the quotes that corporate had said that, that the leadership had said, and they like, they pick it apart and they're like, no, that's not accurate. And I, I found that quite interesting. Um, next stop is slide number nine, uh, quickly, because they talk about how, despite having great assets, GameStop has been a persistent underperformer. One year total shareholder returns minus 65%. Three year total shareholder returns minus 81%. Five-year total shareholder returns, negative 85%. So if you bought a bunch of stock five years ago and you held on to it all this time, you are sunk. And then they have a 10-year shareholder returns of negative 71%. And that's because in like 2012, it like spiked up for a while. And so it, but in the last five years, it's been just abysmal. Um, so next up, we're stopping, we're, we're sticking, uh, we're doing slides 9, 10, 11. So on 10... It talks about how the stock has underperformed for a decade. Total did you ever get stock options? I did. I did. I was actually uh, telling someone the story earlier today. Did you sell them? I had to uh, when I left the company. Okay. Um, but I got very lucky, and I don't know why. But the month after I left, because I think I had 60 or 90 days to exercise the options. And when I, it was in like my last week or two to exercise them. The, the stock like spiked and I, I was, I ended up pulling out, like I sold it all. And I think I made a couple thousand bucks, you know, uh, which was fine. Cause it was free, you know, free. <laughs> I mean, I didn't buy the stocks or anything, but I did, I did have stock options. I did exercise them. Yeah. They um, don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why. Um, so they go on to say here, total shareholder returns over the 10 years prior to our co-op agreement, so they're saying in the 10 years prior to when they signed that agreement that the shareholder returns were negative 45% over 10 years. I mean, it's, that, that's just not good numbers. I mean, you know, you can't, I'm not saying this is doom and gloom. And again, this isn't a GameStop bashing video. It's just, the, these are not good numbers for a company to have. I'm sorry. And I'm glad they're hanging on and I hope that they can readjust, you know, but um, then they just talk about how they made changes on March 21st, 2019. So last year, they uh, appoint a new CEO. They did all this stuff. And then they talk about how they're continuing to underperform even after the changes. So now they're saying that the stock went, the, the TSR declined another 60% after they signed that agreement a year ago. So like it was in free fall and they, they made all these changes and it's still falling is what they're saying. Um, so we're skipping a few. Not that this isn't good info. Like this is all good. I could, I could literally go through this slide by slide and be here for four hours. Like I, I'd teach a class on this. Um, not that I know everything about this, but it's just so interesting going through this. Um, here's the two guys that they want to, uh, put on the board. Uh, we're going to stop at slide. Uh, let's see. Okay. So here we're in part two, the need for more change. So I want to slide, stop at slide 18. I thought this was interesting because they talk about how the operational change has been too slow, giving the failing top line. So for instance, revenue from Q4 2018 to Q4 2019. So in that year, revenue fell from 3.1 billion to 2.2 billion. It was a 28.4% drop. In the same time, they cut stores by 5%, employees by 12.5%, and the SGNA by 10.7%. So if you've got revenue that's falling like that, you need to make more drastic cuts is basically what the slide's saying. So they're saying that the leadership wasn't doing enough to offset the loss of revenue by making smart cuts. Um, they're talking here about how they're performing worse than before the changes they made. So like the whole point was we're making these changes to, to make it better. 
Um, we're stopping at slide 20. Now this one, I love this one. This was like the first slide that I read earlier today. And I was like, like, this is, this is some, there's some shade here. Like they're throwing some, some nasty shade and I love it. So this is GameStop's quote unquote four pillar strategy and how it has produced limited results. So I'm going to talk about number two and number three first. Number two was to become a social and cultural hub for gaming. GameStop claimed the the Tulsa market test that Tulsa may or may not be the answer, but it's a first experiment. And this was the idea of setting up like cultural hubs, right? You could try games before you buy them. You could have birthday parties, stuff like that. They have couches in the they store. They have couches in the store. Like it's, it's like a less product. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it went on to say the Tulsa market test. Tulsa is in a bit of a state of limbo right now, operating at the same level as other stores at delivery at door and not really a true representation of how the store is intended to work. That was back in March. That's what CEO George Sherman said. And then the commentary on this. So the commentary is, is by the people that made the slides. So the commentary based on GameStop's four pillar, which was put by the GameStop leadership, says, despite months of planning and implementation, GameStop cannot articulate any actionable intelligence from the Tulsa experiment, which means that they have they they can't they from what they did in Tulsa to see if it was going to be viable. There's nothing they can talk about yet. They haven't proven that it's a workable business model. They haven't proven that it brings people in the store like they have nothing to say now this is one of the four pillars that GameStop established as important to their business and that one they cannot prove it does anything yes this has also been running for over a year yes uh so yeah exactly they cannot prove anything of value from that experiment from over a year from a year yep now this one is is my absolute favorite one so pillar number three was build a frictionless digital ecosystem (laughs) <laughs> and he, here, here's how GameStop spun it. Buy online and pick up in store. In 2019, we have built a new web platform, introduced new omni-channel capabilities, including buy online, pick up in stores, with encouraging results. However, we're still early in that activity. That was March 26th of this year, CEO George Sherman. To which the commentary from the people that made the slide, so the people, again, going against current leadership, trying to get a seat at the table, They go on to say, this concept is nothing extraordinary, nor is it strategic. Customers expect retailers to have these capabilities already. GameStop's activities here are an attempt to catch up to the rest of the retail universe, not a strategic initiative to create a sustainable competitive advantage. So basically, GameStop, like like George Sherman was trying to say, you know, oh, we're adding all this digital stuff. It's going to make us a real competitor. And when the reality is they're so far behind in their retail offerings of, of outside the the window of traditional retail, that this is all this money's being spent to catch up, not to advance past anybody. This is just to get caught up to everyone's basic minimum expectation. And like, I, I, I could go, I go crazy and, and I've seen great progress over the last year in like GameStop's website and stuff, but their system is not good. I mean, their website's not good compared to Best Buy, compared to no. Amazon, compared to all this other stuff. Like, it's just not good. Their pickup well, and store, their inventory I, levels, it just not. It's not as good. I can give you some personal experience on that too. So when they rolled out buy online, pick up and store, we would have people that would buy it and then immediately come to the store, and we wouldn't get the request to to grab that product for an hour. So 
we would just be sitting there looking like a jackass because we didn't have their product ready. And we would have to be like, oh, well, we'll call you when it comes through. Now, at Best Buy, uh, if you do buy online, pick up and store, it's ready in about three or four minutes. So it's much, much quicker. Uh, or at least at least they know that you ha- that they have it. So yeah. like they can at least go to the computer and say, okay, we see your order. We're going to go grab it for you and we'll have it ready. Whereas GameStop, we couldn't even see the order full hour. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing too. GameStop, without telling anybody, stopped calling people when their pre-orders were in. Best Buy yep. sends you an email when it's time to pick up your item. You know, like, like there's just better communication. And so it's a lot of little things like, in my opinion, GameStop rolled back on that. They they had it. They they were calling you. They had an automated calling system for every pre-order. They would text you. You don't get any of that stuff anymore. I don't I don't know. It just it just seemed uh, it seems odd to me that they went backwards in that. So I liked that because they really tore apart those four pillars because that's part of that corporate speak. Like yep. like George Sherman was like, hey, check check out all this stuff that we're doing. And as shareholders, look at look at how hard we're working to make money to, to write this ship. And, and none of that's working though. And none of it's even good ideas. Like arguably nobody believes that those are good ideas. I mean, who actually works there. Well, you mentioned uh, about them not calling the, uh, the customers for pre-orders when they mentioned that they were going to stop doing that. It was partially because of the, um, the no call list that people can enroll themselves on. And if you call somebody that's on the no call list, you can get thousands of dollars worth of fines. Right. Now, what I thought that they should have done back when that rolled out and expected was I expected them to be able to ask a customer, hey, do you want us to call you when when your game comes in? Please confirm on the pin pad. Yep. Bam. Done. I- so I have a loyalty program where we use the phone and we text people like when we're doing sales and stuff like that. That's all we use the info for is a way to communicate with them. I have that. So when mm-hmm. I type someone's phone number into my thing, it says there's a checkbox that says, do they, do you consent to receiving text messages? And they can say no and they still get the reward system or they can say yes because they want to hear from us. They were like, hey, yes, please tell me when you're doing a sale. It's that easy. I can do it at my single store. We do it. You know, it's just... Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree that like their solution to a lot of these problems was just don't do it or cut it out and save the money when it should have been just like, just do it smart. <laughs> don't just not right. do it. Just do it smart. Well, and your pickups, like your pickups for new games declined drastically because people just forgot that they ordered it. Yeah. And- I, I, oh, yeah. I went in there a couple times and I, I went in there maybe six months ago and they were like, oh, you know, you've got like five things that you had pre-ordered that like just came out and we didn't hold them or anything anymore because it's been so long. Did you just want to use that credit for something else? And I was like, I guess I didn't even, I don't know. It's weird. Um, so we stopped on slide 25 because this was a slide talking about how management has lost credibility in forecasting the business. I've been saying this for a few years. Every yes, time they I- come out with their, uh, predictions it's never even close so for instance on september 10th 2019 george sherman said as a result at this time we expect the percentage decline of comparable same store sales for 2019 to be in the low teens and ended up being 19.4 percent so in the high teens almost in the 20s 
uh, in December. Despite the top line declines in the business, our balance sheet remains strong as we anticipate ending the year with total cash and liquidity in excess of $1 billion. And they finished with $770 million. So they're off by, you know, 23%. Um, and then they talk about, on the right side of that, they talk about what the percentage of the stock dropped <laughs> after those things came out because they weren't accurate. Um, let's see. The company now expects capital expenditures to be in the range of 75 to $80 million and forecast total cash and liquidity, including availability under the revolving line of credit at the end of the fiscal year to be approximately $900 million. And it was 770. So what they're basically just trying to say is that they're wrong. Every time they make a projection, they're wrong. And then lastly, uh, CFO Jim Bell said, finally, given my earlier comments related to our sales outlook for both the industry and our business, we expect adjusted diluted earnings per share for fiscal 29 to be in the 1.15 to 1.3 range. And it ended at, well, it was $1.15 to $1.30 range and it ended at 22 cents. <laughs> So it's so far off. It's ridiculous. Well, I, I think that the the thing that GameStop does that's dumb is that they forecast their earnings based on game releases. Yes. And that's something that they can't control. And it's like, do you think that Walmart is forecasting their business based on whether a new th- whether kitty litter is going to sell one. like they're they're just saying for the month of October we think we're going to do this much in sales based yeah. on trends not based on one specific product in their store they're not putting all their eggs in one basket and GameStop does there was um there was an October uh I think it was when did Red Dead come out I think it was, was October it I think Two, two years ago? It wasn't, it wasn't last October. Or was it? There was, no, I, I don't think. It, well, I don't whatever. Um, it doesn't matter. The actual release of Red Dead was delayed. And it was supposed to come out like six months prior. And when we looked at our our projected goal for that week, there it, it was a dead week. Nothing was coming out. But then on our goal sheet for that week, it was like $56,000, which is a crazy week. And we're like, what the hell? Why, why are you expecting me to get $56,000 out of nothing releasing this week? And if we didn't hit that crazy, crazy goal, we had to cut hours. Yeah. And we were already on bare minimum hours. And it was like, what the hell? And I talked to my district manager and they're like, oh, well, the $56,000 is the, that's from when the original Red Dead release was supposed to be. And it's like, okay. So So no one adjusted that? (laughs) Right. Why didn't anybody adjust that at all? And why are we still going off of that goal at all? Like they really should just be like, hey, October is the start of our holiday period. We've, we think that this is what it's going to be. Like, I, I think they should be more on monthly trends, not based on individual products. Well, it'd probably be more accurate. But I do I do understand, though, that if you have an annual release, like a Call of Duty or a Madden, of course you want to bank around that. Because you know that August is going to be big with Madden. You know November or October is going to be big with Call of Duty. But a, a game that took 
you know, six years to release and has been delayed once, like, yeah, you can't bank on that because you don't know that game's coming out. Look how late it was when Last of Us 2 got the last delay. It was like, you know, it was only a f- like a few months before the release date. It was like, a, and it was like a week after they said the release date. So y- you can't plan for any of that for the most part. Yeah, you can plan around annuals like Madden, FIFA, and your Call of Duties, but you don't like that's such a that's such a, a, a an odd way of doing it. I agree. Um, and John, so you sound like a, like an, a sour ex employee. Apparently, <laughs> a lot of employees have soured on GameStop, as this slide is illustrating. So the 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 slide says gamers should love working at a gaming company but poor leadership seems to have destroyed morale. Before I get into the numbers here, would you agree with that? Yes, I I worked there for 10 years and for the first 4 I kind of hated it, but I loved my customers. And then the last 6 I love my customers and I love my employees. And so I I didn't necessarily like upper management. There was very little um, on the the regional and district manager level that I got a lot of, that I got good feedback from. It was, yeah. they were really negative and, and irritating. And uh, just, they they didn't understand the challenges from store to store. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They tried to lump everybody together and you've got mall stores in metropolitan areas, strip centers in rural areas. Like you cannot treat these stores the same. You cannot. And, and, but that, that was their blanket. And I think arguably it's, that's the problem with a company that grows as quickly as GameStop did. Like they had massive success in the two thousands. And so they grew like crazy and they never got like, the right footing like they were riding these highs when when they were unstoppable but then when the rocky waters came there was no foundation there for them to like lean back on for a successful business it was always you know they just kind of flew by to see their pants and like you said then they started just doing these blanket rules over five thousand six thousand stores which are all different i mean we've got friends that run stores that are up in the middle of nowhere you know and then you've got stores that are in the heart of milwaukee like those stores aren't the same. Those customers no. aren't the same. Come on. Um, well, so- and one of the things I like about this slide or this uh, presentation is they they talk about how GameStop is going after the quick buck and not necessarily investing in the the relationship between the employee and the customer that can drive loyalty and business not in a loyalty from a loyalty card perspective but from a i trust john i trust greg i know they're looking out for my best interests and i'm gonna go to them because i like their opinions they're like that that was one of the things that really soured me on gamestop was that there are there are employees in the wisconsin district that are just tacking the the disc warranties onto your purchase not telling yeah. you and and banking that extra money and that could be one two or three dollars that that they're throwing onto your your purchase per disc that you didn't agree to and they didn't tell you about and yep. that infuriated me because i would i would never tolerate that as a customer 
And to be compared to stores that were doing that was maddening. Oh yeah. Because they're yeah. like, oh look at look at this store up in Wausau. I'm naming them. Um <laughs> <laughs> he's he's doing amazing. He's got 80 90% GPGs. Why do you only have 15 to 20? And it's like, well, I ask people if they want the item. I explain what it is, and when they say no, I don't yeah. sell it to them. And and they don't realize the long-term damage you do there, right? So yeah, that customer yeah. may not notice the first 3 or 4 times, but you know when they notice, it's over. It's over. Right. Well, it, it it takes it takes so long to gain a customer's trust and it you can lose it in a second in a second and the thing that sucked about so like i ran a green bay store and i never allowed that in my store period any store i was running i would never ever allow my employees to do that but there was another store run by a different store manager in green bay that was doing that and him doing that tainted that customer that got yep. angry for all of us yep and so i lost them as a customer even though that's something that i never would personally do yeah and that infuriated me yep and so the, the, part, part of this next slide i'm glad that they talk about this a little bit um employees have soured on gamestop too gamers should love working at a gaming company but poor leadership seems to have destroyed morale recommend to a friend this is saying would you recommend a friend work at gamestop the average, the peer average for this question is 55%. GameStop, 34% said they would recommend this job to a friend, and that's 20 out of 20th in the peer list. Um, CEO approval, peer average, 66%. GameStop, 30th, 30%, which is 20th out of 20. Uh, positive business outlook, peer average, 37%. GameStop, 15%, 20 out of 20. 20th place out of 20 in their peer group. Overall rating, peer average is 3.3. GameStop's 2.9, 18th out of 20th in overall rating. So somehow, <laughs> there's two companies worse <laughs> than them. But it just shows that like employees aren't behind this either. They go on to obviously, say... Obviously, one of those two companies is EA. Well, it has to be, right? <laughs> now, now, this one is funny because... They went to uh, employee reviews from Glassdoor. So if you don't know, Glassdoor is like, it's literally a website where employees can anonymously talk about their company and if it's a good or bad place to work. I've criticized it in the past because sometimes, like, I don't know what their verification system is, but you could have a whole bunch of trolls go on there and like leave bad reviews for companies and be whatever. Um, However, here's some of the ones that they pulled. Corporate is completely disconnected from the challenges and issues retailers face on the sales force. They push forward ill-researched initiatives and punish stores for being unable to implement unrealistic goals successfully. There is no upward movement. There is no incentive to grow. Hourly pay is low compared to talent and expectations. Advice to management. Listen to real data from the sales floor and take customer feedback seriously. Invest new ways to stay competitive in a difficult market without expecting lower volume stores to achieve 3.0 million store results. Yeah, that that's like that sounds like somebody who worked there. That does not sound like somebody just making that up. You know what I mean? Like that that is absolutely somebody who worked there and they've worked there a while because they've seen it. Uh, and then you get this one, screw GameStop. I worked at GameStop full-time for more than 3 years, no recognition, unreasonable expectations, awful management. And it sounds like a grouchy person, but that first one he should have stayed two more years. He would have gotten a 512 megabyte USB stick. 
<laughs> you know, I never got any of those milestone gifts. I never got anything. Uh, I got that, and then I got a 10-year certificate, and then they gave me like 75 bucks on a uh, on a website that I could use, and I think I got like two gift cards with it. Oh, all right. Uh, you know, so there's that, and then um, I had 28 listed. So despite a new CEO and board members... Social media posts regarding GameStop have become increasingly negative. Now, to be fair, right, this this huge spike they're circling here, this is literally the COVID, the, the piss-poor COVID response, basically. Yeah. So, obviously, they got a bunch of negative press, but this is accurate. They did, but it's because of that. Like, they got a lot of bad press for that. But it, it's not good. And this is something I've been saying for years. They have an image problem. And they need to fix that image problem. And it's like they don't even care that they have it. Like, I mean, I, I never see them trying to fight back at all. Like, now you've got this. Their social media is run by, like, some smarmy person. And so every now and then you'll see, like, these funny quips. And someone will, like, they'll post a picture like, hey, show us your collections. And then someone makes the, oh, GameStop will give you $3.50 for it. And then they start, now the GameStop social media starts quipping back like oh good one haven't heard that before you know or something i'm like is are you gonna try to pull like a wendy's social media and like you're gonna try to be like no that that's not gonna work like you need to rebuild your trust with these customers you know again it's perception is reality when it comes to customer service it doesn't matter if you are doing the things that people hate you for they hate you because they think you're doing them it's your responsibility to fix that image because perception is reality in the eyes of the customer. It doesn't matter if what you feel is is accurate is accurate. It's just I'm sorry. It's it's a reality of the situation. Well, and their COVID response got me to cancel all my my pre-orders at their store. Yeah, uh, like I I still am buying like their deal of the week or deal of the day type stuff occasionally. But like the new Tony Hawk game, I want to pick that up, and I've been like debating where I want to pre-order the collector's edition. They have a pre-order bonus that I kind of want, but it's like, I don't want it enough to give them my yeah. business. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, oh, and then here, so here's some of the things. Uh, GameStop still owns a jet despite a new team and flailing performance. While employees were fired and profitability plummeted, management maintained its 22-seat luxury bombardier CL-604 private jet. <laughs> Well, and they let uh, they let the people in the management team use the jet for yep. their own per- for, personal for personal reasons. Yep. Uh, it now to be fair, the jet is listed for sale, but has not been sold. Uh, and I love how it, they went on to say the Dallas Fort Worth airport is only seven minutes from GameStop Corporate. <laughs> I mean, this is just more one of those like just poking the bear sort of situations. Um. All right, let's see what I got next on here. Going to slide 33. And again, not that it, not that we're missing anything. Like, this is good stuff, too. Um, in fact, oh, actually... That's their COVID res- so is that their COVID response? It starts on 32, okay. yeah. So I was, um, I, I was going to start on 33, but you're right. So technically, it's 32. So it starts on 32. COVID-19 communications caused confusion and fear. While other retailers closed stores to protect the health and safety of employees and customers, GameStop remained open. On March 19th, GameStop sent a letter to all employees titled, 
store letter to law enforcement where it said, quote, we believe GameStop is classified as essential and that we have received reports of local authorities visiting stores in an attempt to enforce closure. Store managers are approved to provide the document linked below to law enforcement as needed. So they're basically trying to tell you if the cops try to shut you down, show them this, that we're essential. Yeah, this this exactly is what got them to lose my business. Putting your store manager in between the local law enforcement and corporate is BS. You're hanging them out to dry. You're hanging employees out to dry. That's no good. It's terrible. I 100% agree. Just terrible. Um, And then uh, on March 22nd, following a public outcry from employees, customers, and the media, GameStop reversed course and closed its stores. Um, And they had a quote in here. Now, again, it's funny because there's two quotes from Reddit from the the GameStop subreddit, but uh, this guy's Reddit username is I bleed GameStop, and he's a district manager, according to his profile. I don't know if you know who verifies that, but anyway, he said, "Be proud, you guys stood up for what's right and worked through the most chaotic environment I've ever seen. I'm not proud to work for GameStop right now, but I'm proud to work with all of you." And it's funny how inspirational someone can be, and he has really no motivation to be inspirational to anyone else out there, but. That's that. That's how you speak in a situation like that. That's how you you stand up and and make a difference. Um, and then the the next slide goes on to talk about how GameStop fumbled the COVID nineteen crisis. And they show different articles here from Retail Wire. Uh, will GameStop lose more than it wins keeping stores open during the outbreak? Vice GameStop has no idea what to do about coronavirus. The Boston Globe GameStop to employees wrap your hands in plastic bags and go back to work. The company has instructed employees to wrap one hand in a plastic bag to accept payments at the door. The quote from the article, workers have been told to wrap a plastic bag around one hand to protect it from exposure to the virus, open the door a crack, take the customer's credit card. Employees are then to run the card with a hand still encased in the bag, flip the bag inside out, leaving the card inside, put the purchase in the bag and hand it back through the door. (laughs) Someone put a lot of thought into that. You know, that wasn't just like someone just, I mean, that was like a lot of thought of that. Uh, and CNN said GameStop will close all of its storefronts starting Sunday following outcry from employees and calls from lawmakers to stay at home as coronavirus spreads in the United States. So it, like, even when they finally did it, they didn't get the positive press from it. They got the, while well, they're being forced to, because, you know, they're, they're being forced to because of the situation. They didn't get to say, Hey, GameStop setting an example. And I'm going to, Oh, I'm sorry. I will say, I, I got to give them credit here. They did close. I drove past uh, Cold Stone Creamery, wide open. For wide open. People just going right in. Essential. Essential. A very essential business. I was I was stopping by to get Jimmy John's next door, which Jimmy John's you had to call. You had to do your order over the phone, and then they would bring it out to you. But if you needed some ice cream with some cookies mashed in, you could walk right in. Yeah. And and so I don't I'm not trying to toot my horn here, but beep beep because a week before the governor here set the mandate to close, we decided to close. We had actually set on I think it was like March 17th, we were going to close for 2 weeks to see how the situation goes. So our our plan was to open back up like April 3rd. Then the week after that the governor comes on and says we're shutting everything down till April 26th. So we're like, okay, so we're shut down to April 26th. And then uh, later goes on to push it to May 26th, and then it gets thrown out of court, whatever. But 
I, I was the like I was ahead of that. I made a rational decision based on my business, based on the safety of my employees and my customers. And part of the reason I made that decision was because the weekend before we did that, we had one of the busiest weekends we've ever had that wasn't a sale because people were crazy. Like people knew it was coming. Kids were off of school. We were so busy. I knew people wouldn't stay home. People wouldn't, people would say, well, I don't want to go anywhere, but we have to take the kids to game, you know, game trade because, you know, they need it. Like, okay. I mean, you know, I mean, and so we had to do the right thing almost like in in spite of them, despite them, you know, it, it was weird. Um, some of the comments, uh, uh, and again, this is the GameStop subreddit, which is not, it's not anti GameStop. You know, you'd be surprised. Like you go there, there's a lot of people who are just like, man, I wish we could do this better. I wish we could do that better. It It's really, it's, it's inspiring to see, but it's also kind of sad because it's a lot of people that really have this hope that they can make a change in that company. And as somebody who felt that way for 11 years, I never felt like I made any difference in that company, you know, like I, and, and I wanted to, I had these big dreams and aspirations to make it a better place. Make, you know, I just feel like that's not what that company is about. It doesn't want you to do that. It wants you just to follow the rules. Just do what you're told. I um, used to, uh, I was on that subreddit for two years and I would basically fix customer service problems for stores that yeah. weren't even in my state. Uh, I sent a guy, uh, a steel book for sword art online in France, because when he ordered the, uh, he ordered the collector's edition of that game, uh, hoping to get the GameStop exclusive steel book. Sure. And when, when GameStop sent him the game, they didn't send him the steel book cause he wasn't a power forwards member cause he couldn't be. And so, uh, I, I paid $25 out of my own pocket to send him that steel book just because I wanted him to have a better, I better impression of our company than, than what he had. And that's, and that's awesome that you did that. And you should never have to do that though. Like you, and I know you chose to do that and, and I do applaud that, but man, that's, you know, like, again, they left you hanging. Like they don't give us any leeway to do anything there. You know? Well, I even tried to be proactive because he reached out before the game came out. He was talking on the, on the Reddit and I asked him for his order number and I called the GameStop customer service and I was like, hey, the game's not out yet. Can you just throw one of those steel books in the in the order when it comes around? And they're like, oh, no, uh, we can't do that. Uh, he'll have to you'll have to call back after the game comes out. And I called back after the game came out. And I was like, hey, like I called about this before. Here's my here's my ticket number uh, is is there something that we can do for this guy? And they're, and they're like, Oh, well, we don't have any more of those in stock. And I was like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I had one in my store and in, in my, uh, drawer of, uh, of pre-order items. And I was like, fine, I will just take care of it. Yeah. It just again, it's, it's like what you're saying with the police, like they're setting you up to fail. Like corporate office is setting you up to fail. And it's like you have to put in your own time and your own money if you want to be more successful. And it's just frustrating. Um, okay, so 33, 34, 35, 36. So we got a couple slides here, but I thought this was funny. Um, so during the COVID-19 pandemic, GameStop was among the last of its self-defined peer group to close its stores. So as you can see on this calendar here, it was like one of the last. Only Signet stayed open a, a day longer. What is Signet? I have no idea. Uh, and then the next one, and near last to reduce executive compensation. 
So GameStop doesn't reduce the money that its uh, corporate people are making until the 22nd of April, which is way after everybody else. So, like, for instance here, like, Kohl's on the 19th of March is when they closed. And then Kohl's on the 30th of March said, hey, we're reducing, like, the executive compensation to save money so we don't, you know, so all the money saved isn't off the customer's. And the only one that beat GameStop at 30 days between first closure and the announcement of executive compensation reduction was Foot Locker. <laughs> and Foot Locker went a long time before announcing that. Now, I don't know what Foot Locker's stock situation is like, but if they're doing well, then they wouldn't need to, you know. Um, and then they talk about, like, recent changes are latest in a string of unsuccessful change effort. And they talk about the, the five CEOs in three years. And they talk about the number of CEOs that these companies have had since Q4 2017. GameStop has the most. So they're talking about how there's just like this kind of general uncertainty at the corporate level and in the, you know, in the structure up there. Um, and so that's as far as I got for what I had written down going through this. There's a whole lot more. Don't get me wrong. Um, do you, I suppose not because you're using your phone to record, John. But let me, let me bring up real quick. I just want to bring up... The pictures you sent me to make sure I'm not really missing anything because there are a couple I want to make sure I get. So hold on. Give me a second here. Um, so one of them that I I thought was eye-opening was uh, their projection for store closures. Yes. Um, what because... was... I don't see that one on here. Oh, wait. Uh... No, I don't see that one on here. Ah, you bastard. Um, well, basically, they have about uh, 5,200-ish stores right now. And they the forecast for store closures is like half of yeah. stores that are open right now. Now, 5,000 stores includes uh, the EBs up in Canada. It includes stores in Europe and other countries. Um, so it may not be just stores in the United States that will close. Um, but still going from 5,000 stores to 2,500 stores, that is a lot of communities that are not going to have GameStops. Yeah. That's a lot of people that are going to lose their jobs. I mean, there's three GameStops in Green Bay. Uh, and if I were to, if I were to bet which ones would close the mall immediately, um, because uh, the the cost of of running a mall store is so much higher than running a store on a strip because the the rent in the mall is madness. Yeah, which is funny because it's not even at one hundred percent occupancy. If they really wanted to, they could renegotiate the hell out of that and get that yeah, way that's, cheaper. That's one thing that I was dogging my district manager about was so GameStop in the the Bay Park Square Mall was paying about ten thousand dollars a month in rent. So over a hundred thousand dollars a year in rent that's crazy that and that space is small um if you opened up a stupid christmas store in a in a store over twice the size of the gamestop they were given those little crappy pop-up craft stores like two thousand dollars rent yeah so their rent was five times lower than gamestop 
for over twice the size of the store and and GameStop wasn't willing to at least my district manager and GameStop corporate on the uh, retail or the real estate side wasn't willing to argue with the mall to try and lower that rent. Yeah. And it's and crazy. then we would be compared against stores um uh there's a store outside of the mall and me and that other store we would have about the same amount of sales but that other store's profit would be way way higher because they didn't have a hundred thousand dollars worth of rent yeah. eating at the bottom it's, line. it's crazy i remember that at, at bay park seeing the pnls and or at the mall at the bay park store seeing the pnls and i'm like how are we only putting like like we're a million dollar store how are we putting thirty thousand dollars in the bank like yep. what kind of numbers are these? Like it made it never made sense to me, but you're right. You're losing. I mean, the square footage of that store's got to be thirteen hundred square feet or something like that. Fourteen hundred square feet, maybe. And and to pay that much per month, it's crazy. You could get a strip center on Oneida Street cheaper than that, and you'd yeah. probably get more traffic. It's crazy. Yes. If I was the district manager of this area, I would have closed that mall store and I would have. Uh... I would have told corporate to buy that mattress store uh, yeah. next to next but to. The, the, but the problem yeah. is they see it as a profitable store and they're too scared to close a profitable store. That's just yeah. really the truth. You know, they only close non-profitable stores. Um, GameStop also loses money on um, mall stores usually don't do midnights. And yeah. so the stores that do midnights would get more pre-orders because customers would be able to pick it up at 9pm or at midnight when the game released. And so because of that, uh, I would get less pre-orders at my mall store. And what I would do to to mitigate some of that was I would be at the, the store that was doing the midnight with my pre-orders and I would service my customers at that other store. As soon as I left, that store stopped doing that. Yeah. And so their their profit on these big games is in the tubes probably because they're not selling their stuff. Like um, when they closed for COVID, they Doom and Animal Crossing came out like that week. Yeah. And instead of doing what I did, which is bringing over the pre-order lists and your copies of the games, they just canceled every single one of those games and this the store on the other side of town got all those sales and it's like hey girl running that store that worked with me for two years why didn't you do that thing i taught you <laughs> like yeah well but then we just talked about it though right like that we want that uniqueness but not everybody likes to work that way either and so some people just yeah. want to do what they're told just like how some companies want you just to do what you're told you know um, so we're already going longer than I wanted to go on this, but I knew it would be. <laughs> we're only to slide 55. I'm going to cover a couple here that I'm going to jet all the way to the bottom because there was some juicy ones down there. And again, I can't stress this enough. Check out the whole thing. It's incredible. It's it's like every slide is like very well done, and it's not impossible to understand. It's actually quite interesting. But a couple here uh, that I wanted to go over, and then we'll skip to the bottom. As a result of the board's missteps, GameStop's credibility has been destroyed. Various stakeholders have embraced negative perceptions of GameStop. Customers question the long-term sustainability of the power-up rewards program and whether trade-in commitments will be honored. The slow drip of store closures has eroded employee morale and led them to question their job security. Vendors have discounted GameStop's involvement in their future. 
and debt holders have an unreasonable concern of potential insolvency. So that's not good. And then I liked this slide a lot, which was establish corporate culture, which values all stakeholders. Now, they didn't say shareholders. It said stakeholders. And the difference is there is everyone who works there has a stake in the company, even though they don't necessarily make money off it, right? So I like this because you see this little upside down pyramid. They're saying that customers, employees, vendors, shareholders create value here at the top to realize value here at the bottom. So they're saying create value with customers, employees, vendors, and eventually shareholders will see that value. And I like that a lot. That's a, that's a customer first. That's a service first kind of attitude. And I'm the first to say this. Best Buy was so close to the toilet 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and they have completely climbed out of that. They've, they, they, they aggressively went after Amazon. They'll price match all these places. I know that they tested it in a few stores. GameStop never price matched. Like it's just this level of arrogance that said, you know, we're here, we're doing things our way. We don't have to compete. It's always been a problem. And so I liked that. Um, and then, th so I, I did want to do this a little bit because they, they talk about like misleading claims, right? So there's two slides of this and then we'll go to the bottom. I, for I almost forgot about this one. There's some good stuff here. So the GameStop claim, here's the claims and then there's the facts. Again, this is a biased worksheet, but it is what it is. GameStop claim. GameStop has undertaken sufficient change. The fact. Change in management has not produced positive financial morale or outlook changes. It confuses movement for progress and high short interest suggests shareholders remain unconvinced. GameStop claims more change would be disruptive. The fact is GameStop needs constructive disruption. Trend lines are all heading in the wrong direction and the board remains retail centric and lacks sufficient capital allocation, turnaround experience, and quote unquote skin in the game. Hestia claims that or excuse me, GameStop claims that Hestia and Permit, that's the two companies that are doing this whole white card proxy vote thing, do, that they're saying that their nominees do not have relevant skills, when the truth is our nominees have decades of financial capital market and turnaround experience, and directors with skin in the game will make the board start acting like owners instead of professional managers. So that's just some things I liked. Um, uh, yeah, like, and like this one. So GameStop's claim that Permit and Hestia are short-term investors who wanted a large share buyback that would have left the company weaker. <clears throat> they go on to say that the fact is we recommended a significant buyback based on the healthy financials and guidance provided by management at that time. And what we didn't know was that the company would announce on April 2nd material weaknesses in their internal controls, casting doubt on their liquidity needs for the remainder of the year. So it's, this is kind of like a back and forth about how, oh, they, they said that, you know, they said that this will make the company better and then, then it didn't and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so again, a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, they're saying the vote on the white proxy card that's for permit and Hestia's benefit. Here's, you know, here's the vote. They say they'll help you vote if you need to. Uh, they talk about the downward trajectory. Let me get all the way to the bottom here and then I'll work my way back up a little bit. Um, uh, GameStop has not taken bold action. In 2014, CCO Frank Hamlin, Hamlin said, if E3 is the Vatican, why is GameStop not the local church? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not a fan of the analogy, but yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, it took six years for GameStop to reverse its strategy. In 2019, to create an experimental gaming experience, GameStop initiated its Tulsa market test in 12 stores, including Try Before You Buy, Esports Competitive Gaming, and Collectibles Experience, Results have yet to be announced. <laughs> um, I'm guessing it's not good or they would have been talking about it already. Um, now, here's some interesting statistics, though. 
Physical games offer value to customers. 54% of customers said, I enjoy having a physical copy of the game or a game box. So Now, the, the problem is, is that uh, this says it's from the Bespoke Intel survey research, February 2020. But if it's a GameStop, like if it's GameStop focused, then I think people who shop there would say, yeah, they want their games physical. You know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know what this, how the study worked or how the survey worked, but it's interesting to hear. 54% of people saying they want a physical copy of the game. It shows that like retail is not dead. And I know this is anecdotal, but my store has proven that retail is not dead. If you have good service, people want to come to you. When I worked at GameStop, people didn't come there for the GameStop policies. They came there because of me and my staff. And ultimately that's why I knew I would be successful when I opened my own store. I knew people would flock back to me. And I knew that the reason people shopped at my GameStop store and why we were successful was because of me and my staff that I hired and trained, you know, and how we dealt with customers. It was everything. And, and so like, it's, it's, it is that simple, you know? And, and what's funny is there, there's a slide here that says GameStop retains mind share with customers in the same survey. Where do you, where would you purchase a new game? 27.8% 27.8% said Amazon, 26.2% said GameStop, twice as much as Walmart, uh, twice as much as digital downloads, almost three times as much as Best Buy, almost four times as much as Target. So they've got the name recognition. Their brand is still strong. They've got it. Next question, where do you prefer to buy used games? Number one, GameStop, 40%. Next closest, Amazon at 23.9. And next one is Walmart at 124 so they, they're trying to say that, like, this isn't a lost cause. We can do something, but we have to do something. Um, and then they said, how do you purchase games for the Switch? 61% said physical, 39% said digital. And then which do you prefer, new releases purchased up front or free games with in-app purchases? 68.4% said new releases purchased up front. 31% said free games with in-app purchases. So what they're trying to show is that the market is strong. And the idea that, like, physical games are are dead and that that's what's killing GameStop is not accurate. And I, and I think that's very true. Um, that even proves that like Fortnite and, and uh, that model is not necessarily killing the retail game. Right. Prices. It's not, it's it, in, in fact, it's grown, it's grown the space. It's grown the revenue. It's, but it hasn't taken away from somewhere else. It just kind of came from nowhere. Like that was a different type of customer. Um, so anyway, uh, like I said, there's a whole lot more here, but that is, <laughs> that's it, man. That, that, that is the, the restore GameStop presentation that was brought by Hestia and permit capital trying to convince stockholders to vote the white proxy card. It's, it's my understanding is it's, it's kind of like a corporate takeover, except those are really messy and really expensive. And this is a way to get a little bit of influence by, convincing all the other shareholders to vote for your I don't want to say it's not an amendment I guess an addendum I don't I guess that's what you'd call it but it's basically to vote for something you want to happen so basically they initiated this white proxy card and said if everyone votes for this then we're going to get our two recommended people on the board and we're going to fix this company we're going to get you more money for your stock yep they just want seats on the board they just want seats on the board now Again, this was very one-sided, obviously. So is, you know, is this all true? I believe it's true 
but is this angled in a way to make GameStop current leadership look bad and these guys look like angels? Yes, of course, because they're trying to convince people not to do that. You know, on the same, on the flip, you know, I shared that article earlier. Here's the letter from Kathy Verbeck, the lead independent director to the company's stockholders. Thank you for your interest in GameStop. You will face a decision that poses significant implications for the future of our company at our 2020 annual meeting of stockholders scheduled for June 12th. Um, the annual meeting, Hestia Capital Partners LP and Permanent Capital Ep- uh, Enterprise Fund are running a costly and distracting proxy fight in an attempt to remove two of your highly qualified independent directors who bring valuable experience and continuity to the board. Your board urges you to discard any white proxy card you may receive from the dissident stockholders and use the blue <laughs> proxy card to vote for all of GameStop's 10 director nominees. Uh, and then it says GameStop's focus on stockholder value versus the dissident stockholder's selfish and misguided opportunism. Like that's literally in the email. So, you know, all's fair in love and corporate takeovers, as I said. I don't know. If I owned a thousand shares of GameStop and they wiped out the value of 80% of them, mm-hmm. I don't know that I would necessarily be like, oh, this one card, these, oh, these guys. No. I don't, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Be like, maybe, maybe we should listen to these guys. Yeah, I don't know anybody who's owned GameStop for a long time, but if they did, how could anyone who's owned the stock for a long time and watched what happened to it over the last 10 years be like, yeah, let's just keep going. I think we're fine. I think, I think we'll ride this out. Uh, I think we'll ride this out. <laughs> it ain't nothing. It ain't <laughs> happening. Hooked. Eventually it'll hit zero and I won't have any stock anymore. Yeah, then I won't have to worry about it. It just goes oh, yeah. away. Oh man, that was a fun conversation. I my throat hurts. I could tell I was talking a lot. But that was a good one. There was so much interesting stuff in there, and maybe everyone on the podcast is like falling asleep right now, but I find that incredibly interesting. I love all that stuff. Um but with that being said, that's it for the news stories for today. Um we've got our game of the week, we've got our pickup pile of the week. Um John, what do you have for your game of the week this week? Uh, I actually, I did not pick one. You Uh, son of a... So, I'm going to pick one out of the random crap I have next to me. (laughs) And I'm going to go with Gradius 5. Because it's a good shooter. A fantastic shooter made by Treasure. Um, Treasure made awesome shooters on the Genesis uh, and stuff. And Konami tasked them with making their wildly fantastic Gradius series. Uh, Gradius is one of my favorite series, and that's a fantastic. Yeah, I'm very glad that that Treasure got the to to make a Gradius game, you know, because it's just I don't know. It, it's cool to put the awesome name power with the awesome studio name power, and to to get like a quality product out of it. It seems like Treasure is dead, and Gradius is dead. Yeah, like, I don't know what the hell Treasure's made in the like last decade. I couldn't tell you compilations of their games on 360 probably not <laughs> uh is it my pickup pile am i doing pickup pile no they got to pass back to me for my game of the week oh, sorry i'm i'm tired it, i know i'm with you uh, i'm with right. you what is your game of the week okay so my game of the week this is a monumental day john because i'm done with ps1 P- i have i have i have I have expunged my PS1 game of the week. So we're moving on to PS2, baby. We're just going to keep on going. But this is this is actually a neat game. I picked this up a while back. Uh, it's a Japanese import called The Ambulance, or The Zombie versus Ambulance. Um, uh, 
what is that game? Oh, it's a okay, it's a simple series game. Yeah, it's a simple series game. It did come out in Europe as Zombie Virus, uh, which yeah. I kind of want to get, but I hate that name. Um, but yes, I believe this game only came out. No, I guess they did do a regular, not simple series. But anyway, um, yeah, it's really stupid. Like, you literally drive around ambulance. <laughs> it's almost like Crazy Taxi, kind of, except you're smashed into zombies and stuff. Um, it's dirt cheap. It's not worth anything. But it's hilarious, and the cover's kind of rad. So, Do you have the 50-foot uh, woman game? Where you, uh, <laughs> no. Where you, you, I have that. <laughs> you, I'm pretty or, sure you brought that over for me to play one time. I thought I played yeah. that at your house or something one time. It, is hell. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's so weird. Helicopter trying to attack a fifty-foot uh, girl in a bikini. <laughs> so, John, what do you have in your pickup pile of the week today? All right. Oh, spilling crap. Oh no. All right. So, I got Senran Kagura Peach Peach Ball, which is the. Busty girls dressed up as dogs, cats, and rabbits on a pinball table. Mm. Uh, if you're into all of those things, seek help. Um, <laughs> Burger Time Party. Um, the uh, Exceed website had a sale, uh, so I got those from that. Uh, Ice Age Scratch Nutty Adventure, which I've never seen in a store for Xbox. Um, Pixark uh, for Xbox One hmm. and then uh, Greg has a new sales tactic where whenever he wants to sell something <laughs> sitting in a store for a long time he just sends me a picture of it and goes hey do you want this um, so I have the German version of Aggressive Inline <laughs> featuring Tig Chris. Every time uh, I run into, like, a stupid import, I'm like, John will buy it. If it's for Xbox and it's an import, John will buy it. I've, I've yeah. learned that, yes. It has a, the, the German cover has a much cooler cover because the American cover is just some douche, like, jumping down, like, a small staircase, like, looking all rad. <laughs> and this one is, like, it looks like he's committing suicide off the side of a building. It's so weird, the art on that one. Yeah, because there's no ramp underneath him. He's just holding onto a ledge... There's just like 500 feet worth of uh, death drop behind him. Uh, oh. <laughs> All right, so that is that is it for my console game pickups. Uh-oh. Now, this is it, it's not really a pickup because I've technically owned these for years, but it's the first time they've been in my house. So I got a Naomi arcade board for the game Dead or Alive. Uh, and it also have the, um, there's an adapter you need to be able to play it with a JAMA harness. Mm. Um, so I've got that as well. And then I also got my UN Squadron arcade cabinet back from my friend's garage, who's been holding onto it for me for like 10 years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. Is that Dave and, and Jake? Yeah. Jake, Jake had it in his garage for years. He repainted the thing and he, uh, he even put, um, new team molding on it because the sure the molding that goes on the edge was like black and crappy and like 30 years old and so he put some really nice orange team molding on uh which the the majority of the game is orange like um as far as the marquee and the the control panel uh so it matches really nice 
Hmm. Uh, and then he even rewired some of the bad wiring in in the uh, the back of the machine because he's just awesome. What a nice so, guy. Uh, yeah, Jake is fantastic. I love that guy. So what did you get uh, to this week? And so, what are you doing? Are you buying crap on eBay? Yeah, pretty much. So <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be honest. I can't remember if we talked about these already. So if I did, just stop me. But the first thing I picked up was another copy of Final Fantasy VII for PS4, the remake. Okay. And this one's the Walmart. It has an exclusive three hollow foil cards. Okay. In there. Um, so I picked up another copy of that because I did love that game, and I, I did platinum that. So, And then lastly, I got this from Play Asia. It's a two-pack of Anakin and Odalis. And so I would never played these games before. And I was like, well, these look kind of cool. And I looked them up and like one looks like a Ninja Gaiden inspired game. And the other one looks like, is it a Contra? I forget, but they look like old school NES games. They look fantastic. I'm like, holy crap. Like how did I never know these existed? And then the only physicals I've seen, I think were from play Asia. And then they came in a two pack. So it's got like a, an outer box, which I don't really care much for. I'd rather just take, I'd probably rather just take the games out, but I think there's a soundtrack in there too. I don't know. It's really cool, man. Like, look these games up. Like, Onikin, O-N-I-K-E-N, and Odalis. Like, the same company made them both, and they're both, like, inspired by certain NES games. They're pretty great. So, Is, is that part of uh, PlayAsia's, uh, like, limited release stuff? Yeah, yeah, that's a Play exclusive, yeah. Do any of those sell out, like, instantly, or do they kind of stick around? Some sell out. The Vita ones always sell out right away because people are getting their last Vita titles kind of out, okay. out the way. Um, but like some of the PS4 ones, like I went on there today and there's one that's been up for like two months still on there. So I don't know. I don't know if they actually make more or not. It's weird. But uh, that's all I had, everybody, today. That is the podcast for this week. Just a friendly reminder, we will not have a new episode next week. We're taking a break. For just a little while, uh, unless something really crazy happens story-wise, John, then we might have to get on it. But um, it'll be nice just to take a take a little breather and get some stuff at the store set up before we reopen to the public uh, in the I'm terrifying times it. we're living in right now. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so thank you as always, uh, as always, everybody, for listening and watching. You can follow me on Twitter at GameTradeGreg. You can subscribe on YouTube at YouTube.com slash DropRate. We just broke 7,000 subs on the channel so i'm pretty happy with that i'm pretty proud of that uh you can follow us on twitch at twitch.tv slash the drop rate of course i do some extra life charity streams on there uh and i'll be doing my 24-hour live stream in october this year so that should be pretty fun so keep an eye out for that i play games for 24 hours to raise money for charity uh and then of course you can follow john on twitter at dryer combo uh thank you everybody as always for listening and watching john say goodbye have a good night we'll talk to you next time have a good one later Bye-bye.